Today's message comes again from the book of Luke, chapter 6. And today we're going to be talking about the Lord Jesus as He chooses His disciples. Folks, in these modern days, with all of our great world leaders, and especially our great business leaders, we marvel at the way that men and their enterprises can become so successful in just a short period of time. And invariably, it seems that the key element that's involved in their success is that they surround themselves with bright and talented people. People who are able to quickly capture the vision of their leader and then carry on forward that vision to success. And it's taking place all across our business world especially. Now here in these scriptures, we see how Jesus did a very similar thing. He began the most successful and most important enterprise that mankind will ever witness. And he did it, though, with one very important exception to that average successful business model of choosing bright and talented people to carry forward your vision. Rather, he instead personally equipped each one of them with everything that they would ever need to succeed in their calling. He gave them personal instructions. And then, more than anything else, he gave them the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to enable them to carry out his plans. So as he chose these men, and we'll read about it in a moment, he didn't just reach out and find the brightest and the most organized, the most educated men that he can find. Listen to these words. This is chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray. And he continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. There was Simon, whom he also named Peter. And there was Andrew, his brother. James and John, Philip and Bartholomew. Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and then the other Judas, Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. Each week as we read these accounts that took place in the life of the Lord Jesus, I want us to always remind ourselves that God's purposes in giving these words to us are always many-fold, many-fold. Yes, they are actual historical accounts of the things that Jesus and his disciples did back in their day. But these are at the same time instructions in righteousness. We're told that that's what these scriptures do in 2 Timothy. These are instructions in righteousness for us, specifically intended for you and me and for our special benefit now in our day. Folks, God's truths and His promises that we find here in these scriptures, especially His promises regarding salvation, they're timeless. They're timeless. The Apostle Peter, in his words of 1 Peter 1, spoke of how the prophets of old, hundreds, perhaps even thousands of years before Christ, prophesied, about the Lord Jesus. 
long, long before he ever came to the earth. Listen to these words that Peter told us about the prophets. This is from 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. He tells us there, he says, Of this salvation, the salvation that Jesus has brought to us, of this salvation the prophets of long ago have inquired and they searched carefully. They prophesied of the grace that would come to you and me through Christ, searching what and in what manner and what time the Spirit of Christ was in them and was indicating that he testified beforehand the sufferings that Christ would endure and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed not to themselves, but to us, that they were ministering things that would come to us in these Gospels. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who calls you to be holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct, because it's written, Be holy, for I am holy. Now here in these words, the Apostle Peter is saying that as Isaiah and as the other prophets wrote about Jesus many hundreds of years, even thousands of years before his birth, their purpose was to speak these words forward to their disciples then. This would be these disciples that Jesus just named. And then he also was saying that they were speaking those truths forward to you and me. To you and me now as we read and, and as we study these words today. And our response should be to search these truths further for ourselves. So that not only we can benefit, but also, and this is so important, but also that many others can benefit from our witness and from the message that we ourselves will speak forward into their hearts and into the hearts of anyone who will listen. And so what we're saying here, what the Lord is saying, is that these words are not just for you and me. They are, yes, but they're not just for you and me. They are for us and then that we would speak them on forward into the hearts of the next generation. And especially to our family. You recall the words of Deuteronomy 6 where he says, These commands that I give you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you'll speak of them as you lie down, as you rise up, and as you walk along the way. God intends His truths to be spoken on forward into the next generation. And that's what He was doing with these disciples. Now here as we read that Jesus went onto the mountain and He prayed all night. And then that He carefully chose 12 disciples from among perhaps as many as several hundred men. Many disciples were following Jesus in those days. Crowds of men. And so he chose these twelve from perhaps as many as several hundred of the men that he had present in front of him that day. In these simple words, the Holy Spirit then is revealing some very special mysteries and truths that we ought to wonder about. We look at these verses that I just read to you and it just looks like, well, he went and he prayed and then he chose these twelve men. So much more was going on. So much more was going on. Mysteries and truths that you and I ought to wonder about. One of the first mysteries that I wondered about is 
the why the omnipotent God, this is the Lord Jesus, who created the heavens and the earth, why he still needed to pray all night, seeking the will and the plans and the directions of God the Father before he then moved on forward with his decision about choosing those 12 disciples. I believe that this simple revelation is precious beyond measure. Yes, Jesus was the omnipotent God who created the heavens and the earth. And he even created the very ground that he was walking on at that moment. But this simple act of humility, the humbling of his heart and his soul and his spirit before his heavenly Father, it bespeaks how Jesus had graciously laid aside his glory, his majesty, and most all of his omnipotent power to then obediently come minister to us, and then die on the cross so that you and I might be saved. Humility. Folks, Jesus' simple act of humble obedience to God the Father should demand no less from you and me. If He, the omnipotent God, would lay aside all that He was, then so should you and I. So should you and I. You might recall the words of the Lord Jesus when this rich young ruler came and asked of the Lord Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? And there Jesus said to that young man, he said, you must go and sell everything that you have. Give what you receive to the poor and then come and follow me. Folks, that was exactly what Jesus did with God the Father. With great humility, Jesus gave up all of his own majesty and power and glory there in heaven, to come and to serve the plans of God the Father to save you and me. And that's exactly what's required of you and me. No less. We cannot hang on to ourself, and that's what we like to do. We want to put church in its place. We want to put Christ in His place. But then we want to get on about the rest of our life, and we cannot do that. We cannot hang on to ourself and all of our self-interests and expect God the Father to accept our meager handouts of the time and the energies that we might have left over. That will not work. It does not work. He requires every ounce of surrender and every ounce of commitment from within our souls. We sing that song, I need thee every hour. That's what he wants of us. And then clearly in revealing to us the careful manner in which Jesus went about this very important decision, it's intended as a teaching moment. A teaching moment for you and me. And you and I need to be careful to learn from it. God provides you and me all sorts of teaching moments all through our days. Too often we don't recognize them. And so we let them go on by and we learn nothing. Here is a teaching moment for us. There's a special verse that I've quoted for us on several occasions recently. Matthew eleven twenty eight. There Jesus tells us what is the first thing that's required of you and me. There he tells us, he says, Come to me all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And listen to these words. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, humble, and you'll find rest for your soul. Jesus was meek and lowly in heart. And he said, that's the first thing you're going to have to learn from me. 
how to be humble. He implies within those words, it does no good for you to hang on to your opinions about what's happening all around you in your family or especially in your nation or in the political streams of life. He says, first thing I want you to learn of me is humility. He was meek and lowly in heart. And from these words we know that he was humble and he was contrite as he prayed there all night before his father. And that's what he requires of you and me. That's what he requires of you and me. And I must believe that humility was one of the reasons why Jesus chose these 12 men that he chose. He saw in them the humble desire to give up their self-needs and their self-desires, to give up all of the things that they held dear, and then to follow him wherever he would lead them. Jesus' choice of these 12 men had nothing to do with their education, nothing to do with their education, nothing to do with their training or their standing in the community. None of the usual human rationale applied. It had everything to do with God's Spirit. God's Spirit knows the hearts of men, and God's Spirit made a solemn choice of these men. And I can hear the Trinity saying in heaven, Yea and Amen. And I'm personally convinced that even as God had woven the fibers of each of these men's souls together in their mother's womb, all the way back before they were born, He also wove humility and everything else that they would need to be the special disciples that Jesus would want them to be. Also, another precious instruction in righteousness that we glean from this short message of truth is the manner in which Jesus went about seeking God's direction and guidance. He got alone with God the Father, and he prayed all night. Do you do that very often? We too often, in the busyness of our day, send up short prayers. And that's good. But do you get alone with God for a long period and pray? This choice that Jesus was making was a very serious choice. One that would impact the whole world for an eternity. And folks, such decisions as these should not be entered into quickly or lightly. For you and me, the same should be true. When we are to make serious choices and decisions, we also need to go away to a private place and commune with God and inquire of Him. And not just, again, for just a quick moment, as we so often do, but for a long time. Because it's only then that we'll give God enough time to speak back to us. God wants to speak back to us. He wants to reason with us. He tells us that in Isaiah chapter 1. He tells us, he says, Come to me and let us reason together, saith the Lord. He wants to reason with us. That's what he did with the Lord Jesus. Jesus and God the Father reasoned together that whole night. And then as day broke through, the decisions were made. And Jesus got up and got about the business of calling his disciples to himself. Folks, these particular words of Scripture were especially significant to me as I worked there in the ministry at French Camp. Regularly, my job, my responsibility required me to be a part of choosing men and women to be a part of 
our ministry team there at French Camp. And those choices were ever so important because we were actually doing as Jesus did that day. We were choosing people who would be part of Jesus' ministry team to those kids. So often, we get caught up in considering technical qualifications. We had teachers, and we had house parents, and we had counselors. Too often, we get caught up in considering those technical qualifications, human talents, and we lose sight of some of the most important attributes of men and women's souls. We can imagine that even as a great leader like Billy Graham, as he began his ministry and he chose his original ministry team, he probably based some of his choices on their talents. Beverly Shea could sing. Cliff Barrows could lead music. Others could do financial matters and on and on. And those men really turned out to be excellent choices. But folks, listen. As I look back on all of my own decisions, I confess that in my human reasoning, I probably did not ask God enough times what I ought to be doing. Or perhaps I didn't wait and listen for His response. And I depended too much upon the outside, the human talents of those that I would be part of choosing for the ministry there. I didn't look at the real qualifications that were deep within their souls. Let me strongly proclaim to you that Jesus did not do that with these 12 men. Yes, we'll later see that these men's personalities and some of their talents uh, came forward in, in their ministry. But listen, their talents were only incidental to Jesus' choosing of any of them. He did not need to choose readily equipped people for the work of his ministry. He himself would equip them, and he did. He would teach them, and he would impute all of the qualifications of the gifts of the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit of righteousness that would be necessary for the carrying out of his plans and his purposes. The things that Jesus would ask of his disciples and the things that he'll ask of you and me. Folks, those are things of the Spirit. They are not things of the flesh, our human talents. So in a sense, our earthly talents and our personalities are not necessary to the carrying out of his plan. His gifts and his fruits and his personality, they're all that required. The rule that seems consistent throughout all of these scriptures is that those whom God calls to a purpose, He equips them for that purpose. God can take a small boy and a sling and a rock and He can kill a giant. Or He can take another small boy with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish and He can feed 5,000 people. He can also amazingly take three men who are willing and have them walk through a furnace and not be burned. And then, as with Billy Graham, he can equip a simple man to preach to millions and millions of people across this globe. Here in Peter and Andrew and James and John, Jesus picked fishermen. Fishermen. What does that have to do with carrying forward the gospel? They were fishermen. 
In Matthew, he picked a tax collector, a person that people don't even like. In the Old Testament, God chose men who tended sheep. He took sheep herders, Abraham, Moses, and David, and he made them some of the greatest leaders that this world has ever known. Now, yes, God may, in his providence, prompt people to get some training early on in their lives that they may use later on in their calling. David had to learn to use his sling, but that was not required. Folks, I am convinced that David could have slung that stone in that direction and hit that giant over there. It was God who was guiding that stone. Again, the simple truth is, God does not depend upon your or my personal talents. He uses other criterion to make his choices of men and women to carry his mission on forward. And in making his own choices, the enabling, the teaching, the knowledge, the wisdom, the power that a person would need would all be provided by him, by God himself, when and as each person needs it. Now question, do the things that I'm saying now preclude our need to reach out perhaps and take other further training such as Bible college or seminary? No. God can prompt people to prepare themselves and equip themselves in many different ways. But the point that's being demonstrated here is that no previous human talents or education or personality traits were necessary or were required as Jesus chose these men to carry his plan on forward. It seems that all that he asks of us is that we have a willing and surrendered heart. With those simple qualifications, he can make us, you and me, into his servants, into his disciples, his preachers, his messengers of the gospel. Now lastly, I want to point out one other very strongly evident truth that's being revealed in these words. Folks, Jesus chose these men. These men did not choose Jesus. Jesus chose them. And he says those exact words in John chapter 15. There Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Folks, yes, there are many free will decisions made along the way within our relationship with the Lord Jesus. But in matters such as these and so many others, there really was no free will mentioned here, and it will not be in many of the choices that we make. It's not in evidence here that these men of their own free will joined in with Christ. Now, some might argue, yes, but any or all of them could have refused Jesus and turned away from him, told him that they didn't want to be his disciples. But that is not what these scriptures are saying. That's not in evidence here. That's only our opinion. These men were chosen specifically by God, and the choice was completely in God's hand, and so were these men's responses. And yes, later on, from time to time, those disciples would falter. They'd stumble some. And even Judas 
would deny Jesus and betray him. But the scriptures are clear about Judas. His denial and his betrayal were an integral part of God's plan from the very beginning. Prophesied many hundreds of years earlier. Folks, too often we want to narrowly define God's involvement and God's influence in the matters of our life. But we should not do that. God really is sovereign. And he exercises his sovereignty at every moment of every day. And that's why we do need him every hour. And God has abilities and power far beyond our comprehension. And he can foreordain choices to be made and matters to take place irrespective of your or my free will. But mysteriously, at the same time, he does allow our free will to be fully involved. I love that about the Lord. He's able to make the choices, and yet I will, of my own free will, choose what he has chosen. He is an amazing God. Now, because of his generous provision of faith to my soul, I have no problem with accepting that God does such things as I've said to you here today. And he does it often. And also, in allowing him to make those same choices within my own personal life. What he's telling us here is very important truth for us to accept. Those disciples were foreordained and chosen to be God's special apostles, men who would be sent out to preach the gospel of Christ and to establish his church, and the gates of hell would not prevail against them or against his church. So then, what do all these things say to you and to me in our own life circumstances. Can God call you at this point in your life, whether you be young or old, can God call you to a particular work? It might be a brief one. It might be to an afternoon conversation with someone about Christ, about salvation, about eternal life. Can He equip you for the task because... You may feel uncomfortable about doing such things. Can he equip you to say the right words and then send you out to deliver those words? Do you and I always have a choice in accepting those calls that he'll put upon our souls? Can we actually refuse him? Those are questions that you ought to be asking yourself. For myself, I do very much want to be fully available And fully surrendered to the Lord Jesus in all the decisions that he makes involving me. I want to join with him and be a faithful disciple whenever and to whatever calling that he might choose. And so I would ask you, are you willing? Are you willing and ready to do the same thing? Are you willing to follow how he will and the way and the path that he will guide you on? We'll close as I read Psalm 23. Listen to these words carefully. These are words of assurance about all those next things that God will guide us to do. In Psalm 23, he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. 
for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. We needn't fear. Folks, we needn't fear. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. And he says with assurance, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray.